0: May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome back for all you people who have been anxiously, anxiously awaiting uh, another opportunity to have a date night at home. Uh, Again, we do not recommend this program for date night. But some people have their own taste and they're welcome to. Use uh, the Dominion Podcast as your date night. But welcome back. This is episode 50-something. I don't even know what episode it is. Episode one of season two. It doesn't matter because it's episode one of season two of the Dominion Podcast. We've been on a bit of a hiatus uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, Dominion-wise. Not that we've been, uh, you know, kicking back and relaxing in the sun, as my shirt might
1: (laughs) indicate. By the way, this is
0: Elvis. You can't see.
1: (laughs) Not the king, the
0: other king. He's playing bongos. Yeah, the other king small k <laughs> real small k <laughs> so yeah what have you been up to this summer um we took a we we took a little bit of a
1: different pace of things i mean as our listeners know it's been a wild year for our family and our church and uh we just very intentionally my wife teaches at the school and uh you know, it's a very rigorous place to be a student, so my kids work really hard, and we just thought, you know what, we're going to take it a lot easier. So I just had a lot more family time, a lot more time with my children, and nice. Pretty much every day, we were, you know, spending solid time together. So it's we we didn't, I and mean, we did some things here and there. We got on a couple day trips and did some cottaging for yeah a couple nights well we times. did a camping actually the first time my wife has ever been camping really so well she's never Bar- never no, been in a tent no i mean in barbados like if you camp you die kind of thing like you just you wouldn't go camping
0: that doesn't seem like something you do in that kind of weather no
1: yeah, yeah or just yeah there's nowhere to really you're gonna go camp in a cane field you know yeah. <laughs> so um yeah so we did a couple days of camping and that was good, but we mainly just just lay low and tried to gather our energy and um, strength for a new a new ministry
0: season. Yeah, and you guys have kicked that off at Hill City. All yeah. sorts of uh, family events going on, church family events. I'm sure. Yeah, so. we've you know we've got some more baptisms
1: coming up, and and uh, you know more people joining the ranks and. Um, I think for us a priority. I was I was thinking of the the scripture. I, it doesn't the actual text doesn't come to mind, but where um, the author was exhorting the church and reminding them of when they were first Christians and they suffered. They were willing to suffer the plundering of their property, and they were so devoted. And it made me think there was something. The conflict was very difficult in some ways but it actually made the christian life easy in other ways yeah because it's just clarifying it's like here's the task you're either gonna bail or go ahead yeah and there's there's something that's i personally find really easy about that um whereas when you're when you're you know without the conflict you're kind of faced with a whole host of decisions that that uh, it's
0: harder to motivate yourself to do the things you ought to do.
1: Yeah. And even yeah. choosing what to do when yeah, it's yeah. like, if you meet on Sunday, you know, it will be against the dictates of those in the thought. It's like, okay, well, we, we have to meet. Jesus says it's simple. Um, so I think what we're thinking pastorally is like, how do we encourage and strengthen the church to pursue Christ with that same. Commitment and dedication and devotion in a time of relative peace. Yeah, and so I—that's th- that's on our hearts. That's on our minds. Um, you know, we'll probably this will come up and again and again on the podcast for listeners. Uh, it's that okay? Um, the immediate conflict that we were in is kind of subsided at least for the moment, but the the mission of the church. Uh, to make disciples of all nations and to teach them everything Jesus commanded us to obey it all remains, and so, um, this season might have a little bit of a different flavor, but the it, it's almost a there's ways in which this battle for our own souls is, is harder, yeah. So we're just aware of that. So that's kind of what's going on. Nice. We
0: started at the school again last week. That's right. KCCS, uh, our official unofficial sponsors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh it's amazing. I mean, last year we were transitioning buildings. So like right up until the school year, we were, I think in August, we finally found oh, yeah. something. Yeah. And we we're, you know, you were picking we up less month, uh, and uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tristan from the upper 40 studio here. He was the one that uh, set up all those chalkboards. Oh yeah. He custom built the ledges and stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: So this year it feels like we're set up. We've been running for a couple of years. The staff is, our faculty is amazing. Got some new teachers. this year. Got some new teachers. Um, You know, uh, it just feels really encouraging. It feels like we're just running with it. And the new students are welcomed into an existing culture. So, um that that's been good too yeah that we've we've laid some foundations, just as far as the culture of the school, the culture of the students and the faculty and it's something to actually welcome people into now and yeah it's just exciting, man it's a joyful wonder filled serious place to be nice and so it's been great excellent, yeah,
0: excellent. what about you? you've made a couple couple moves a couple moves, yeah well. I uh, quit my job and started a company. So there you go. <laughs> that's been my summer. Taken to heart. Um, what We've been telling everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, but that's that's basically it. You yeah, know, we've been talking a lot, and um, just felt that's what I needed to do. So yeah, I said bye bye to the job and uh, doing uh, doing my own company, HVAC uh, related stuff. So yeah. For None, all your other unofficial, needs. official sponsor exactly. here is exactly Boyd Heating and Cooling. So. Yeah,
1: we'll spread <laughs> the word, word of mouth. So, yeah. and, and on a serious note, I didn't. I was hoping we would do a little plug for you, but um, you are really like this. wasn't uh, Starting your own business is a risky thing. Like you didn't do this because you had to do don't this. Remind,
0: don't remind me. <laughs> I still wake up in the morning going, "Where's the money coming from?" <laughs> but it's, yes. it's
1: it's good to remind people that it's it's um, you did this on principle, and uh, a lot of like a lot of good things in life, uh, striking out on your own, seeking to take dominion as far as you're providing. Um, and building in in your vocation there's always risk involved with mm-hmm. that and you decided to take that and uh, yeah that's great we wish you all the success and I mean, Tristan's got a couple of spare rooms here. <laughs> things That's right. Things, things don't work out. I know one. this next week you've been
0: sleeping in the studio. <laughs> yeah. haven't shaved in a month. You know? Wearing the same shirt. <laughs> yeah,
1: four episodes in a row.
0: <laughs> yeah. But how do people look uh, you up? Yeah. You, you're on social. You're on Facebook. Uh, I, I actually got a Facebook account just so I could put a put Up a Facebook business page,
1: and you love being on Facebook.
0: I love it so much, guys. <laughs> like, I can't even tell you how much I love it. I love it so much, I rarely go. But, uh, boydheatingandcooling.ca, or great if you if you look me up, you'll find me. Boyd right,
1: Heating, that's man. great, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's good to be back in studio, and uh, we're gonna do things a little bit different this year. We're gonna try and do a time of teaching, addressing a particular topic. Um, likely of immediate concern within the church, things are people are facing, then we'd like to talk about a current event and, and think through it, discuss it as Christians. You know, how do we mm-hmm. think about this um, as Christians? What, what, what does this change about the way that we live? And then we'd like to conclude every week with a, a more serious discussion about something we're reading. And uh, I believe you have something by Tolkien. Is it Tolkien who wrote yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. This week. So we're going to try that. And as always, moving forward, if you have any topics or questions, could be questions about a biblical topic or a text. It could be a current event. If you want to send in a story um, that you're reading on the news, that you're you're struggling to think through, like, how do we make sense of this? How yeah. should we respond to this? Um, you could send it, chairs, What's the email again? Jeremy at the ca. Yeah. Great. Well, what I wanted to talk about tonight is uh, is the biblical category of division and unity. And this is an important topic because, uh, as you probably know, in our, our Lord's high priestly prayer, a prayer to his Father when he prayed for his disciples, he prayed that we would be one. And that the unity that we would share in John 17 is the unity that he has with the Father. That's right. And... Uh, unity is a massive deal. In a sense, the unity that Christians share with one another uh, is a reflection that we do know the triune God, that we do know the Son who shares um, fellowship with and is unified with the Father and by the Spirit. And it's not something that we ought to take lightly. Mm -hmm. And this is important for several reasons. One... Uh, you and I in our churches and our ilk have found ourselves in a minority position in the last couple of years regarding our theology of the church and the state of the lordship of Jesus Christ, Of and, and honestly, a lot of things. Um, and it kind of surprised us to find ourselves there. I mean, we, yeah. we, we didn't
0: consider ourselves – uh, just a side note on that. Have you noticed that list of things that we're in the minority on has grown? Yeah. Even more? Yeah. It's not even about the lockdowns and the COVID anymore. Like yeah, that stuff, obviously there's there's a lack of, uh, you know, we're in the minority on that, lack of unity on that. But now just all these other issues that were sort of nagging in the background yeah. have come rushing in.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, sim- it's symptomatic, right? It's symptomatic of deeper problems. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, when you find yourselves as a Christian in a minority position, you should have some humility, you should have pause, Uh, you should give pause, and you should think, okay, if I'm going to be dissenting from other professing believers in this matter, um, I ought to do so with Mm sober-mindedness. And I know for me personally, I mean, this was one of the main... Deterrence from taking a different course of action initially was just um, the men that I looked up to, who are older than me, who had been in ministry longer, uh, who I respected. Just were take were unified in their approach, fairly unified. And I, I don't re- I don't regret taking that seriously. I mean, I think Christians should take that seriously. The problem is which is what I want to talk about tonight, that the litmus test of our unity can never be um, the popular opinion. Hmm. And we see that throughout the course of history, even today in politics, uh, that the idea of unity is often weaponized against dissenters to castigate them as morally inferior because unity is good and a dissenting opinion is inherently divisive Mm -hmm. um, in a sense. And therefore, and division is bad. Therefore, those people are bad. We had our prime minister come a couple days ago in a shockingly hypocritical way and say that we needed to not engage in divisive politics, uh, throwing shade at the newly, Um, appointed leader of the opposition who the media and and the left is trying to create a narrative about division around. This is coming from the man who is literally the most divisive leader in the history of our nation. And even in the world, he's considered a very divisive man Um, by all accounts. You know, he was the one who came out and said that five to eight million Canadians are uh, essentially misogynistic, I racist, guess, yeah. and question whether we should be tolerated. Um, this all owing to personal private medical decisions uh, there's there's literally never in the history of our country been something from a prime minister spoken that was so divisive so but the reason he's using this language now of castigating the supposedly divisive man, it's because it carries um, moral and rhetorical weight, because division is seen as inherently bad, and right. unity is seen as
0: inherently good. And in, uh, I guess, in his world, I mean, I, for one, think he knows what he's doing. He, he oh, knows of course he's he does. He's of just, course he does. He's just trying to control a narrative. But yeah. basically, the, the point is, because you disagree with me, you're being di- divisive. Yes. The division, like you said, it's, it is uh, uh, straying from the popular opinion. Or the yes. main, the main narrative,
1: yeah, and this this is a tactic that's as old as as old as mankind. I mean, we even read in First King, First Kings eighteen seventeen when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, "Is it you, the Troubler of Israel? <laughs> you troubler of Israel, yeah. right?" It's it's saying that you are you're disturbing the peace here. Look, we're unified,
0: we have peace. <laughs> we're unified in our Baal worship. Exactly. Why are, you, why are you disturbing the peace?
1: Yes, but there's a there's a weight to it
0: and. Because unity is considered good, peace is considered good, and um, but that's that's true. Of course, peace is good, and division and is bad, and unity is good. Nobody questions that. But I think the category that people have a hard time getting their head around is that unity and division just are.
1: Yeah. Well, the the point is in that instance too is that Ahab was actually being divisive. You know what I mean? Right,
0: by being disobedient.
1: Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't matter. If you are all united in your rebellion against God, you are the one who is dividing. Like right. the path that we ought to be on is this way, and you have diverged. And even if 99% of you are unified in your direction, your path to hell, um, you are already being divisive. So, so again, this comes up again and again, but the main problem with this way of thinking is that rather than the truth, rather than the word of God being the standard of what should unify us, um, it becomes the opinion, the popular opinion, or the powerful opinion. And those who don't stand with the popular opinion or who dissent from the opinion of the powerful are considered divisive. But actually in the Bible, division and, and unity are not inherently good. And one of the litmus tests you can have for whether someone is weaponizing biblical language in an unbiblical way is if they treat these things as ultimates. We see that in the same way our culture uses the term love, uh, as if love is inherently good and hate is inherently bad. But 1 John 2.15, we read, Do not love the world or the things of the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him so love is not inherently good if you love the pattern and system of thinking that is rebellion to god and is hateful of your fellow man you're not actually loving god and your neighbor yeah right yeah um the same thing goes about unity unity is not inherently good second corinthians 6:14 we're told don't be united with certain things. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship
0: has light with darkness? Yeah. And John says in, in I believe, First John, uh, talking about false teachers, to don't even let them in your house. Don't even yeah. share a meal with them. Yeah. yeah.
1: So there's a kind of fellowship, there's a kind of unity that is actually wrong. Yeah. It's actually sinful. And the point that you're making is, in the grand scheme, the ultimate scheme, it's to not be in unity with God, and it's to not be in unity with, with his people who are on the path of righteousness. This is why I think it makes sense that Jesus said, on one hand, he came to bring peace, in Ephesians 2, to reconcile, to make peace by his blood, reconciling sinful humanity to God and to each other. But on the other hand, he says in Luke twelve fifty one, "Don't think I've come to bring peace on the earth. No, I tell you, hmm. rather I came to bring division." Yeah, it's like, well, what is? That? I thought you're the Prince of Peace. It's like, yeah. well, yes, but when I bring peace, um, it's on his terms. It's on his terms, yeah. and people who won't bow to me, won't submit to me, are at enmity with me. Right, will be
0: at enmity with you. This is where Christians need to get a sort of priority list in our heads, right? Because there's always going to be uh, competing ideas in our mind. It's like, okay, well, if I do this, it's going to disturb the unity. But if I don't do this, I'll be disobeying. So like which which takes the priority? Yeah. We need to figure that out in our mind. Like yeah. obeying God is priority number one. Yeah. Everything below that, um, even if there are consequences that we don't like, like a division— uh, those things are unfortunate, you know, unfortunate yeah. Uh, outcomes. Yeah. But our obedience to Christ needs to be first.
1: Yes. And the the kind of toxic and um, dangerous thing that I see happening in the church right now is the rhetoric coming from uh, some compliant men. Essentially, the whole time has been... Uh, If you do not fall in line with, if you dissent from the popular opinion, if you dissent from our opinion, you are sinfully divisive. And what's dangerous about that is it's domineering, right? And it's arrogant. It's saying that we, not scripture, um, our position is a litmus test that unity is judged by. And um, Mm. I've heard about church members, even just recently, who were accused of being divisive because they wanted to obey God rather than men. And um, this over issues that weren't even required by law. Yeah. So, the pastors were implementing these restrictions on people, um, forcing them to do things that even the law allowed exemptions for, binding their conscience and then telling them that they were divisive. If they didn't fall in line, yeah, well, that's just that's just rank authoritarianism. It's a domineering attitude. It's an abuse of authority, and it's a disqualification for anyone in leadership and And shockingly, this attitude is not rare. Hmm. and if if you're a pastor, I mean that needs to die in you that you if you have this bully complex where you think unity is people doing what you'd say and you think division is dissent from your opinion, I mean, you need to find another job, uh, because that that has no place amongst the shepherds of God's flock. Mm. Um, And so Christians need to be able to spot this kind of thing. When unity and division is being discussed without
0: categories from Scripture, um, there's something unhealthy going on. I don't know if you're planning on going here, but... um Church discipline yeah. is essentially, you know, Christ mandated division. Yeah. It's, it's a division that Jesus explicitly commands yes. his church to.
1: to but f- that's a great example because Matthew 18, Jesus says, you know, after a process of pur- pursuit, you see someone in sin, yeah. you pursue them individually, then with a brother, then to the church, you treat them as a sinner, or a tax collector. This is proving the point that we're making that, you are not actually the one dividing. You're the one recognizing the division. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's you there say, is a
0: division. Uh, this is this is kind of what I was getting at earlier that we have to recognize that they're they're just a thing. Yes. Um, when Christ prayed for the unity of His Church, I believe that the Father said yes to yeah. that to that prayer request, yeah. and we are united. That's yes. just that's the nature of it. And anybody who's met uh, a complete stranger and found out they're a uh, A faithful believer, like that immediate brotherhood and sisterhood we feel, Mm -hmm. that's that unity. It exists, right? And so does the division, is what you just said, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the division, church discipline is saying that by virtue of your unrepentance and your commitment to your sin, you have divided yourself. Mm -hmm. We are no longer going to, by virtue of keeping our stamp of approval on your membership, pretend that we're unified, because we're to be unified in the truth. Right, and God's word is truth, and yeah. we can't share in the unity of the Father and the Son and yes. be walking in
0: darkness. And this—I mean, this is the idea of holiness. It's, yeah. it's a set-apartness, yeah. And um, allowing you know the leaven of sin to come in makes the whole lump unholy in a sense. Like, yeah, like that sin spreads through. Yeah, uh, and we're supposed to guard that holiness. Yeah, in our own lives and in the in the in the body.
1: And I think this is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Yeah. He's like, look, if, they, if, there are, if there is a mixture of believers and unbelievers in this unified group, if there's no divisions, then that means you're probably none of you are believers. But if there's actually sin and false teaching and darkness uh, in this group, then if there are born-again Christians, there will be division. Yeah. Because the light does not have fellowship with the darkness. And righteousness and unrighteousness don't mix. It's like oil and water. Yeah. So, Paul's saying very practically, um, on one level, yes – We need to pursue unity. And in Christ, we are unified. But the way that we maintain that is not by saying unity Mm -hmm. or by crushing all dissent or by promoting glossing over glossing over. It's recognizing where there is disunity in regards to holiness or doctrine. Yeah. And if you say that, look, the path that we're on is not a righteous path and it is not consistent with God's word and the truth, which is the standard of unity. Mm. We have to repent and go back to him. Yeah. If that causes a division, then let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. And, and
0: we're called to hold professing believers to a higher standard. Yeah. And we are to hold, um, you know, our neighbors and, yeah. and fellow citizens. Yeah. Right. That's why Paul commands that if, if somebody professes to be a brother, yeah. but they're given to, to drunkenness, you're yeah. not even to eat with that person. Yeah. Like don't associate with them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't go out to dinner with your unsaved buddy who, mm-hmm. who gets drunk on the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's a different standard for them. Mm-hmm. They're not professing to be a believer. Yeah.
1: And again, the purpose of that is to show that there is a division. Yeah. It's a mercy. It's not purely, it's not punitive. It's actually like, look, we're not going to pretend that we're unified because we're not unified. Right. right. We're not going to redefine unity. And so I just, anyways, we could say so much about division and unity. But the big idea I wanted to get across and to stress and encourage—I know there's listeners who have dealt with this—that um, no, no leader, Christian pastor, should be accusing their brothers and sisters of division purely because they do ta- they take a dissenting opinion and yeah. practice. Uh, that is, if if. You need to bring more than that to the table, as far as the legitimacy yeah. biblically for making that accusation. Sinful division will be um, with a sinful attitude and with a sinful practice or yeah. with sinful doctrine. Uh,
0: but again, yeah, if, if there's an intentional attempt to cause disunity, yeah, or grumbling or anything like that, yeah. Um,
1: but disunity according to the Bible. Right. Like, maybe your church needs to be shaken up. I mean, the irony is, all the guys I've listened to are Protestant, Protestant. Like, you know what I mean? We stand downstream from Martin Luther. Like, the most, you know, this is where the unified, big C Catholic Church, uh, I guess you say little c, yeah. divided. You know what I mean? So it's a little hypocritical to say, Luther's my hero. But then when, you know, a congregant, questions something and says hey maybe what if our practices aren't aligned with the Bible maybe what we're doing isn't consistent
0: with the truth of Scripture it's like you're divisive mm-hmm. it's like well that's that's yeah we all love Athanasius you know but he was a pretty divisive guy yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah
1: so I would, and I would encourage Christians who are in this position I mean take heart Um This has been the experience of faithful Christians throughout church history, and certainly in the Bible, even Paul. Paul was an outsider. He wrote the Galatians, having, you know, I was once your
0: father, having been your father, am I now your enemy? And He had people basically trailing after him, going to all the places he went to, saying he was a false apostle, and and he was encouraging, uh, you know, fleshly... Uh, fleshly living, because he was promoting grace and all that. Yeah, he had, he had people constantly uh, mischaracterizing him and, yeah. and slandering him and saying, "Oh, you know, he's he's uh, you know not a good orator or whatever yes. it happened to be." You know,
1: yeah, yeah. So this is the path of you need to think hard if you if you are dissenting uh, from other brothers and sisters or professing Christians. You should take it seriously. You should give a lot of thought and prayer. Um, to what you're thinking and what you're doing. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you are convinced, and your conscience is convinced by scripture, um, you need to obey Jesus and Mm -hmm. you need to follow him. And uh, you will face accusations of sin by authoritarian, domineering men. Um, But, you know, ultimately you answer to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind.
0: That's right. Well, thanks for bringing that. That's uh, very apropos. Apropos, apropos. So, why don't we transition to current events? Sure.
1: So, how about those J's? How about those Jays? Actually, know. I was thinking about talking something <laughs> a little bit more important than that.
0: <laughs> and I don't know anything about the Jays. So, do you do you read the news? Like I'm a news. Like I read a lot of news. I read. Uh, headlines that come across my feed, okay, and that's about it, okay. I don't read a lot of news articles okay because if it's in a major outlet, chances are it's it's fake, yeah, for sure, so I just kind of i I read all the headlines and then I kind of sort them out in my head and go, yeah, maybe I can figure something out about
1: it yeah, that. what's going on, yeah. yeah, yeah I try to I try to stay up as far as uh, yeah, I don't read a ton of entire articles, but I'll read the headlines mm-hmm. each day just to see what's going on, if there's an event of note that I feel might be on people's radar, you know, just thinking through it. Um, And this week, this past week, I opened my computer and I read the headlines about how the royal family has been notified that the queen is uh, being monitored very closely. And, And they didn't say this, but you could tell reading between the lines that they're kind of going to say their goodbyes. Yeah and it was it was um totally unexpected but i almost started to cry like not weep like sobbing but just i felt moved in my spirit with an overwhelming feeling of sadness mm. and i mean i don't i'm not um i mean i enjoyed the series the crown and and i am somewhat of uh you know
0: A regophile?
1: Anglophile. Anglophile. Yeah, somewhat of an anglophile. (laughs) And uh, I've never had problems with a constitutional monarchy. Um, So I'm not, I mean, I'd probably appreciate them more than most Canadians. But again, I don't follow the royal family, anything like that. And, And I think why I was moved is for a similar way that I was moved by the passing of my dad, And I still think about it is when my dad died, something, it felt like something about the world changed. Yeah. And not just because it's my dad, it's like there's something about his generation that, if I'm honest, like I know that I don't have. And I think about him and his father coming over after the war and having experienced World War II and whose family was in the resistance and, um, just coming with nothing and starting a business and working hard and knowing the toil and knowing the success and uh, just the way my dad lived. And then my own experience kind of bearing the fruit of that um, was totally different. And I, I just had this thought multiple times when I think about my dad, it's the world has so few people like that, mm-hmm. of that generation. Like, who were who were more stoic they weren't like tiktok stars like it just the pace of change yeah. of things is just it's
0: wild your dad could you know build a house yeah and deliver a lecture on bioethics bioethics
1: yeah and sail a boat and fix a car and yeah you know coach a soccer game and but and, and like the whole time you weren't really thinking oh he's so amazing i mean my dad Was kind of an impressive guy But it's also like He's just a man Like men know how to fix their cars You know They learn how to build things They love their children They But I'm realizing that it's He was actually a pretty unique guy And When I When the queen When I heard about this The queen I was telling Rylan and Rebecca I was at school I was like I actually think I might If they If I see a news story come up That she's died Like I feel at this moment I actually will cry and it, and it is this like an overwhelming sense of sincere grief that when the Queen dies, it will be the close to a chapter of Christendom and that mm. we're just, it's done. Yeah. And we've talked about this over the course of the pandemic. Like it felt like that in the pandemic that Canada died and that's partly why the convoy was encouraging. It's like, oh no, yeah. there still are Canadians who don't hate their neighbors and they're not all bigots. Um, But there's Jason, you know, pastor Jason has said multiple times, like there had to be a grieving. He said personally, like there, I had to go through a grieving process. And I didn't feel that, but I felt that with the queen. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I thought we could we could just talk about why that is. I don't know. Mm. Did you hear about the queen passing, or was this a couple days
0: later? Or? I I think I heard about it on the day that it happened. Okay. Um. Yeah, I can't say that I was particularly moved by her passing. I I always considered her to be a decent, upright uh, statesperson. Yes. So I think it's it's you know she's always a class act. Yeah. It's, it's sad to see. To see that go away. Yeah. Because there's going to be a vacuum now that's going to be filled with Charles. Like, come on. Um, But uh, as we were talking about it, uh, I had been, it's funny, I'd been watching over the last couple of weeks a number of history documentaries on England. Okay. And some of the major points in their history that I had no understanding of. Yes. And it really helped put things in a little more perspective. And so. Uh, I mean, if you think how long did she reign for? 70? Seventy years. So when she when she began reigning, Britain was a completely different place. Oh yeah, it was already in the, sort of the death throes of uh, the Christian, like the Christian world was already dying. Yes, when she uh, began her reign, I was going to say took office, but that, when, but when she passed away, like it's gone. Yes, that that remnant of Christianity in England is. You know, relegated to maybe some some cathedrals here and there that still have believing bishops in them, uh, but the the underlying Christian worldview is non-existent. Yeah. So that that kind of gave me that feeling that you're talking about about a mourning, a seeing seeing a, a seeing a country pass away, yes. and, and change into something else, yes. And the, I mean, the other thing, this is a little bit of a change of pace, but the other thing that struck me about is. For three or four days, I kept wondering, like, why am I seeing this on, on like, all these accounts on Twitter that would normally not like the monarchy, but they're they're praising the queen and they're saying, oh, we can, and, and Charles is coming now. They're, they're praising the monarchy. And uh, my only thought was the only reason they're happy about this is because now they know Charles is, is in place and he's their guy, right? Yeah, he's I think. He's a statist. He's a globalist. He's all these things, right, that they want.
1: I think there is part of that, but I think there is a um, sentimentalism right. that is as much as as much as we despise God, as much as we run from Him. Uh, his ways are true, and his 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 ways are pure. And you you can't tell me that living through the woke nightmare, the the toxic disease that's overcome our country of just, it feels like suffocating hatred mm-hmm. for one another, constant grievances and offenses. When you actually look at the queen and we're not talking about the monarchy, we're talking about this woman. Um, even hard hearts must recognize the contrast. It's the same reason unbelievers, they'll live, I mean, they'll live together for 10 years and then they'll be like, let's have a wedding. It's like, why? Yeah. Yeah, Why do you want to have a wedding? Why do you want to dress up in white? Because you can't,
0: you can't bury the transcendent.
1: You can't. You, you long to, why do you want him to make commitments to you that you don't, you know, like you say you don't care about it, but it sounds like you do. You do. Like you want him to wear something nice and to do something formal and to say something serious and timeless. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, Hmm.
0: yeah, you're probably right about that.
1: Especially with this queen, um, whatever you can criticize, it's like, she did very much embody the role of the queen as they see it. And, uh You know, I I remember I've thought over the, I mean, watching the crown is not, I know it's not historical, but there's this idea throughout it that the queen doesn't get involved intentionally. Like it's, it's, they don't comment. They don't, even in important matters. And it's the principle of separating the authority of the, of the crown from parliament, right? And not muddying those waters. I, it's, it's just such a foreign thing that, in today's world, that people wouldn't make things about them, and wouldn't be entitled, and would have the discipline, and to be willing to sacrifice, and to see things immediately in the immediate go bad, but in the big picture, you're like, but in principle, it's for this good. Uh, I mean, very few people can do that. So I had a couple mm. scatter just observations about yeah. this.
0: Yeah the the other observation i had was just the from the from the people that were saying like good riddance basically yeah it was the complete lack of anything any historical understanding it's insane like it's it's not even just like i don't like her because of this or that it's it's, it's like it's like bat guano crazy understanding of what the world is actually like and what happened in history. Yeah. You have literally no idea what happened in history.
1: Well, it's, it's actually an inversion of what happened. Yeah. I mean, you you would think that the British empire wasn't the first in the history of the world to abolish slavery as an institution
0: at, at no benefit to itself. At no,
1: but actual, <laughs> at economic disadvantage, yeah.
0: um, they didn't get cheaper goods because of it. They paid yeah. more because of it. They abolished the slave trade before individual nations even abolished slavery. Yes. So they were fighting against basically the entire world who were still trying to buy and sell slaves. Yes, which they, everyone did. Which everyone did. Yeah, uh, and and they and they because they controlled the sea. They were able to win that battle. Yes, like you said, at at like many lives lost and many, many lot, you know, millions and billions of yeah. dollars spent.
1: Yeah, and and like yeah, don't we're not like they had slaves and like everyone else. I mean, mm. today in the world, they estimate there's thirty million slaves.
0: Yeah, still there are slaves in Peterborough.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> they like. Everyone everywhere had slaves. And the popular opinion is that only white British people had slaves or only America did. It's actually just absurd. Yeah, It's like everyone did and only um, Christians- Only Christians. Only Christians said and worked towards and were willing to sacrifice um, so that that was no longer a thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you see the- the progressives come out um, just saying awful things, you know, wishing she she dies a slow death. Blood is on her hands. It's like if blood was on her hands, then you wouldn't be allowed to say that. But that's just not true. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's curious to me when people attack the monarchy is uh, a constitutional monarchy certainly has problems, but the only way that Christians should talk about human government, this side of Jesus returning is with the acknowledgement that they are all imperfect. Mm-hmm. Like there's no such thing as a perfect form of government. And we've we we should probably get Joe on here sometime to talk about this. Um, Dr. Dr. Joe Boo. But The conversation, you know, maybe you think about the French Revolution, about the reign of man, right, and the sovereignty of man and the individual, Uh, when you reject the transcendent, right, Um, then you adopt a view that that salvation can come through us in our efforts. Mm -hmm. You have a Tower of Babel. And essentially, whatever utopian end we're pursuing, that your assumption is, if we organize correctly, there's a way that we can organize, there's things that we can do to attain that. Mm -hmm. But that's just an arrogant, vain um, view of things. And It's babble all over again. It totally is babble. So the way that Christians need to have this conversation is we think through how should we be ordering. We should all begin with anything we do will be problematic. right.
0: Right This is what's that old saying like uh, liberals want sol- want solutions, conservatives want compromise. yeah, you know like we, 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 we unders- recognize we that we there's recognize always tradeoffs that we can't have everything we want. yeah, so you have to say there's trade-offs we're willing to make. yeah, whereas the other side says, no, we're going to have it all and they end up getting nothing.
1: Yeah, or, and if you don't get it, it's because you're doing something wrong. Yeah, it's it's because of
0: the kulaks, or it's because of the the white cisgendered men. Yes,
1: Yes. which means there's someone to blame. Yeah. Like, we can't, and then it creates conflict, and then you must destroy people along the way to your utopian ideal, which is exactly what we've done in history. Every time. Every single time. So, and that's just another absurd thing. It's like, you know that no king in the history of the world... Probably you could put all the Kings in the world together in world history and it wouldn't come close to what the non monarchies have done in one century in yeah. the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're talking 40 million in and, Russia, and, 60 and million in And think about China. this
0: too. Like, so what other culture in the world actually reigned in the power of its monarchy? Yeah. Like the English did. Yeah. Like that, that just doesn't happen. No. no. Um but they actually came to a point where the king gave up certain rights in Magna yeah. Carta and in yes. throughout the rest of their history in order to allow the parliament to have more power and make real decisions. Yeah. Um that's just that and that came out of a Christian worldview. Yeah. from it, Christian thinkers.
1: Well, even the idea that the law is king and the king is not the law, yeah. right? Uh that is a Christian idea that's worked its way yeah. into this. So there's a lot of bad ideas but democracy is talked about by the progressives this way it's as if it's one the only good way in an absolute democracy if we can do that will be perfect but it's like but they don't promote an
0: absolute democracy well they,
1: that's the hypocrisy they say, if
0: you don't agree with us then democracy is at stake
1: yeah but but <laughs> democracy is not in you know if everyone thinks that you should have slaves it doesn't make it right yeah. Uh, If everyone thinks that you should mutilate women, it doesn't make it right. You know, and that's why the the founders in America recognized that their system of government is not suitable. That's why we don't have a pure democracy. For anything but a godly nation. Yeah. Um, If your people are corrupt, giving them all the authority. Yeah. um, They
0: they need to be self-governed by a higher law.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, the spirit of God and the law written on their hearts. Yeah. And and that's what we pray for, and Christians need to realize that too. That we we also can't just Jimmy rig some system and think that it will produce the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's that the kingdom advances through the proclamation of the gospel and the transformation of um, sinners and the saints, and mm-hmm.
0: and and as a result, the, yes, the culture is transformed.
1: Yeah, we will think through. Okay, how do we love God and love our neighbor and and appropriate? How do we administer justice? How do we defend the rights of the afflicted, etc, et etc? Cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just need to keep that in mind when we talk about the monarchy or republic uh no human government is going to be perfect, and they will all have flaws
0: mm-hmm. so, I recommend uh, uh Plato's Republic, yeah, for anybody that hasn't read it yes, uh, he talks a a lot good about good balance different different forms of government and where they're all strong or weak,
1: yeah. yeah. C.S. Lewis had a quote. I I was looking into if he said anything about the Queen, because I knew there was some overlap. Mm. And he, he wrote this in a letter to a friend, and I thought it was very powerful. He said, you know, over here, people did not get that fairy tale feeling about the coronation. What impressed most who saw was the fact that the Queen herself appeared to be quite overwhelmed by the sacramental side of it. Hence, in the spectators, a feeling of, in brackets, one hardly knows how to describe it, awe, pity, pathos, mystery. The pressing of that huge, heavy crown on that small, young head becomes a sort of symbol of the situation of humanity itself. Humanity called by God to be his vice-regent and high priest on the earth. This is the idea of dominion. Mm -hmm. This is straight out of Genesis 1. Yeah yet feeling so inadequate, as if he said, in my inexorable love I shall lay upon the dust, lay upon the dust that you are glories and dangers and responsibilities beyond your understanding. Do you see what I mean? One has missed the whole point unless one feels that we have all been crowned and the coronation is somehow, if splendid, a tragic splendor. And I sum that up as bearing up under the weight of the unbearable in the path of loving service to God and others. This is literally what dominion means. And I think one of the amazing things about the Queen was that the words to describe her, literally, like you said, across the spectrum, duty, sacrifice, service, devotion, ancient words and forgotten qualities in a leader— and all mentioned repeatedly to characterize her. Um, people who get caught up on how well she carried out these duties and and, and um, was characterized by these virtues missed the point. I think she was epitomized by them. Uh, but the bare fact that these are even considered virtues is a result of the success of a gospel on a nation. And... When I hear Christians just criticizing the flaws I just think you are so blessed to be able to stand in in the freedom of the shadow of a Christian culture and say that and truly we don't know yet what it is to be ruled by pagans and we will we will. And we will, apart from God's grace and apart from a revival, which we pray for, we work for. That's why we're doing this podcast. Uh, we, will, we will look back with fondness and almost incredulity uh, that there was such a time that, that the leader of the ruler, you know, the highest symbol of the empire, was described in such terms. Mm-hmm. And it made me, just to close that, just totally sad that that is over. I mean, there's, there's, apart from, she was a culmination of centuries, um, thousand years of the gospel working its way through a culture. And uh, we've, we've, as a culture, the West has just forsaken God. Mm -hmm. And uh, these things don't just come back out of nowhere. But, we need to have the long game in mind. And I, I hope Christendom 2.0 is, is more glorious and more far-reaching. Uh, I mean, what if we were to see China um, yeah. ruled in righteousness? What if, what if these vows, these, this was a Queen's coronation oath in 1953. Will you, to your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? The Queen, I will. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain in the United Kingdom, the Protestant, Reformed religion established by law? Will you maintain and preserve the inviolability Inviolably, the settlement of the Church of England and the doctrine, worship, discipline, and government thereof, as by law established in England, and will you preserve unto the bishops and clergy of England, and unto the churches there, committed to their charge, all sites, rights, and privileges, as by law, do or shall appertain to them or any of them? All this I promise to do." Right? Like, you're going to maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the mm-hmm. gospel. It's like setting aside how well that was done, is anyone else thankful that that was a, re- a requirement, that that was an expectation of a leader? Can you imagine if we have our election and Pierre Polyev wins and we asked him this? Like, that would never be allowed to happen. We're so far from that. So I think just to close, I mean, the way that Christians should feel is we should feel grateful to God for his work. We should read about the nonconformists and the dissenters and the Puritans because they are the ones who gave birth to this, God working through them. Mm -hmm. And we should ask God to do it again, like do it again in our day that caused the gospel to have such an impact on our lives and our hearts um, and expand it so that it, it even grips the heart of rulers. And God can do that. He's done it. Yes. And he can do it again.
0: Amen. Well, that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, I want to do a little uh, book, book talk. Book review. Book talk. It's not an official review because, you know, I didn't write anything down. It's not a scholarly review? <laughs> no. In the in the Dominion Journal? <laughs> If you want it to be, I suppose I could (laughs) convert it into that. But um, yeah, I just finished rereading a book by J.R. Tolkien. Yeah. A small book. You could probably read it in 25 minutes. Yep. Called Leaf by Niggle. So good. It's so good. So you've read it? Yeah. Um, It's essentially his self-reflection on his life's work. Yeah. uh, Told in, in, in a narrative. Although... Slight, a slightly fantastical narrative, considering it's Tolkien, and he wasn't a fan of, you know, straight up allegory. He he still added some of those elements to it, and uh, the crux is is this uh, there's this painter named Niggle, who can never get enough done. He can mm-hmm. never find enough time to do his work, which is his painting, because he's too taken up with the uh, the duties of life, helping his neighbor and. Um, his neighbor's wife is sick. And so he's got to do all this work for them. He's got a bicycle. His neighbor doesn't. So he has to constantly get stuff for him from town. And, uh, he ends up, uh, dying before his work is done. And, uh, his painting is taken off, uh, the canvas and used to patch a hole in his neighbor's roof. Hmm. Uh, and so there's this, just this idea where he's, he's kind of contemplating his life's work, which was huge. Like the, the amount of work Tolkien did on his, uh, on the world he created was, I mean, just incredible. And so uh, there's a, there's sort of a, he's a, he was a Catholic. So there was a sort of a purgatory scene where he goes through this, this purgatory stage before he goes to heaven. Uh, but when he gets to heaven, he realizes that this, this painting that he'd been working on his whole life, which was a tree, it was a giant tree and he liked to paint the individual leaves. Uh, but that tree was real and it exists in heaven and the whole valley that he was painting is uh, is is uh, is there, and he gets to experience it in in reality mm-hmm. what he what he was sort of envisioning in the world. Anyway, it's it's a really good book. Uh, as I was reading it, I mean, I know we all kind of have that feeling, like I just can't get yeah. all the things done that I want to get done, and I'm probably going to die before I do. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I reconcile that with yeah. the desire to do things and just you know? the lack of energy or motivation or mm-hmm. whatever time. So yeah, it's a really really fantastic read.
1: That's great, brother. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, none of our labor in the Lord is in vain. No. That's good to remember.
0: It's also interesting um how when he does when he does get to heaven and his neighbors there with him too. Their uh, their strengths and their weaknesses kind of flip-flop. Mm. The things that he considered his strengths uh, and the things that he considered his weaknesses were actually the opposite. Right. And the same thing with his neighbor, the things that legal niggle thought he was no good at, he was actually really good at. Mm. So yeah, it's neat. A Really good book. That's great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, what you've read it before. I have read it. Yeah. yeah. And you, uh, you, any, any, uh, observations?
1: Um, no, that was, that was good. Um, it it's as you're talking, it's just making me think about like I empathize with that feeling of futility. Yeah. And um feeling like I'm spinning my wheels and not really getting the things done that I want to get done. Yeah. And uh yeah, I think a lot of people in this world, this world and in, in us hmm. can relate to that. Yeah. That's good. We commend it to people. One of his few short, <laughs> very short, probably the only short. I don't know if he did other short works. He did,
0: yeah. There's other, other oh, okay. short ones. So this is this is in a book called uh, Tree and Leaf. Okay. So there's the first part of it is an essay he did on fairy stories, and then there's this uh, this story, and then another one called Smith of Wooten Major, which nice. is also is also good, but it's a little longer, but still not very long. Yeah. You know, it's an evening read. Yep. Good stuff.
1: Good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, what do you want to leave with? I think we should in the intro play God Save the King. Sure. <laughs> God save the
0: Queen. I'm down with that. <laughs> I'm down with that. Absolutely. God save the King or the Queen?
1: I think it's this song is God <laughs> Save the Queen, but we're gonna be saying
0: God <laughs> Save the King now, I suppose. And uh, I guess as we're contemplating contemplating that, I'll leave you with this from Matthew twenty eight. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We'll see you next time.